Well, good morning, everybody. If we could take our seats now, that would be great. Well, we've come to nearly the end of our time here, and uh, it's been a wonderful month. We've enjoyed meeting up with old friends and made lots of new friends. We've enjoyed some wonderful hospitality, and uh, I think we're really getting into the Canadian way of life. <laughs> and uh, I mean, in, in England, if this is crazy, in England, if you want a lobster, you have to take out a mortgage <laughs> and then drive miles to find somewhere that sells one. But you just walk into Sobeys and there they are. So that's what we did yesterday. That <laughs> um, no, we, we have really enjoyed being with you, praying with some of you and enjoying your fellowship. We go back, we fly back on Wednesday and uh, go back to quite a busy time really. And it's been such a joy to experience this building and to sense that this is a church that is on the move. Now, I know in the sense it's a bit of a, a state of flux because there are visions to plant out and all of that kind of thing, but what I feel God has given me to preach to you about is getting this place here absolutely established and strong in God. You have got an amazing building project. This is an amazing resource and I've been looking over the last four weeks or three weeks on the principles of building a work for God and we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah and I'm going to draw that to a conclusion this morning. But before I do, God gave me a prophetic vision. It came earlier in the week but it kind of clarified this morning and I believe there could be one, two, three or even more people this applies to and uh, if it resonates with you I want you li to listen very carefully to what I'm saying this morning because the answer to this could be in what I preach. So I want you to imagine a door frame here and there's a room here and there's a room here. Now this room here is full of people, it's alive, there's a buzz, there's laughter, there's a lot of kind of social activity, um, but this room here is vacant and empty. And you are in this position and you're leaning on the door frame rather casually and you're kind of looking in there and noticing what's going on and you kind of take a step towards it and then you pull your foot back and then you look in the other room and that other room represents where you've come from, your past, influences on you, things that have been said to you, things that have happened to you. 
and they've kind of shaped the way you think. And uh, you suddenly take a step there, and you're kind of leaning over towards that. And it's almost like, well, I think this is the right room, but somehow, still got a foot in this one. And I believe the application of that is about the life of God in this place. That God wants you to take a step into the room where the party is, <laughs> where the buzz is, where the conversation is, where the people are. And they're saying, come on in. For goodness sake, stop leaning on the doorpost. Come on in. Because this is the place where God wants you to be. And then I saw the picture of the people change into people who were dressed in a, a kind of battle dress. You know, they, 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 they got their tunics on and uh, they were ready to get down to do warfare and to battle but there was a joviality about it there was a buzz in it and there was a sense of excitement yeah we're moving on from here now if that has an application to you listen to what I'm saying this morning and take that step get in the room amen Okay. Well, we've been looking at the story of Nehemiah, which was set at the end of the Old Testament story. Although the book is in the middle of the Old Testament, it is actually the book that ends Old Testament history. The walls have been broken down of the city. The temple had been rebuilt after 70 years of exile. Nehemiah, a civil servant, working in the land that he was exiled in, returns and gets the people together to build this wall so that the city can be complete, the temple and the walls, the social life of the people stabilised and the people of God being re-established. And we've seen over these last three weeks that this is a prophetic picture of what God wants to do in the New Testament church. So it's very important that we don't neglect the Old Testament. The Old Testament on every page is full of Jesus, right from Genesis 1, right the way through to the end of Malachi. It's full of Jesus and what Jesus wants to do in building his church. And we can draw lessons from every page. And this is a very, very big lesson. Now, we've looked at the way Nehemiah galvanizes these people. He gets them together, and we see, first of all, a people who are consecrated. So I called that a willing people. God is looking for a willing people. Then we looked at a people who were prepared not only to be willing to work, but they were to be a people of the word, a people who responded when Ezra read the book of Deuteronomy, they realized that they had not been living in the full light of God's revelation. 
that had come to Moses all those hundreds of years before. So they became a people of the word. And last week, we saw that we are to be a people of the spirit. So working, consecration, the word, and a willing people through the spirit. Now we're going to look at a people who win, a victorious people, a people who win. So I'm going to read two readings. The first is from Nehemiah chapter 4. So we're going back in the story from where we were last week. So it's a retrospective look at the story, but it has an important ongoing application for us. So Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. When Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble as they're burned? Tobiah the Ammonite, his crony, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. So, when the day of evil comes, oh, sorry, I've turned over two pages. <laughs> it would break down their wall of stones. Now, Nehemiah prays. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So, we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But here's Sambalat and Tobiah again. When Sambalat, Tobiah the Arab, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and set up a guard as a protection against them day and night. I'm now going to turn over to Ephesians chapter 6 in the New Testament and a very well-known passage of Scripture, which is a New Testament comment on this story. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, it can be very frustrating to see any kind of work that is only half done, whether it's a building, a road, or a work of art, a piece of music, or anything we may have created. Now, I read recently about a building in America that a millionaire had built, but for some reason had decided not to complete it. According to Michael Mamrose of Fathom Realty, the former owner lost interest in the project while pursuing philanthropic in initiatives in Guatemala and recently sold the property. Some of that work is documented at welcomehand.org. So you can look that up if you want to verify the story. The new owner, represented by Mamrose, listed it for nearly five million. The half-finished building sit on nearly 10 acres. Foundations of walls, ceilings, stairs, patios are installed, as well as many windows and doors. According to the listing, its plans include a therapy pool and full-sized pool, exercise room, golf simulator, indoor volleyball court, and room designed for virtual realty installations. Two of the bedrooms are designed like dormitories. The listing says the house sleeps up to 60 people. According to the Wasatch County Planner, the single-family residential zoning of the large house and conditional use zoning of the smaller one would only allow an owner to use them for long-term rentals, a minimum of 30 days. A building project, unfinished, spectacular, but unfinished and useless. I sometimes wonder about Schubert's unfinished symphony. The story goes that the reason he didn't finish it, and as a musician and composer I identify this, the story that goes that the reason he didn't finish it was because he was so disorganized that he lost the manuscript with the ending. Now that may or may not be true, but it can be typical of artists who don't complete what was originally a great idea. Now, the challenge for Nehemiah was to actually complete the job that was started, because the opposition, as we've just read, began to be more intense. The wall was half-built, and then the intimidation hots up. 
Now, this is a prophetic warning for any initiative to build something that God has initiated. And it's important that we are consistent in our faith to get the job done, although it might seem a paradox that we are saved by faith and not by works. In juxtaposition to that scripture, in James that says, faith without works is dead. We need to remember that God does not send angels to do the work we should be doing. So let me encourage you here at Christ Central to willingly own this enormous project of getting this building fully functional to reach your city. That's the vision not a nice meeting hall where you can sing songs. No, that's fine. But a, a building that facilitates the gospel impacting Fredericton. Now, Sam Ballot was angry. And the Bible tells us that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil will try and bring a backlash when God is working. He will seek to intimidate, create rumours, and put obstacles in the way to prevent the work of God. San Bala questioned their judgment and intelligence. That crazy Lord at Christ Central, huge building, how are they going to get that done? San Bala used ridicule and illogical arguments. He mocked with derision and tried to make them look stupid. He said even a fox jumping on it would knock it down. Now, just a, a little personal story. Our church in Brighton, um, when we moved from our first building, we bought a warehouse. It was just an empty shell. And God released hundreds. In fact, it ended up being seven million pounds to get the project finished and we were not a rich church, I can tell you, we weren't. And when the work was completed, the Brighton Council said, well, that's fine, but you can't have it as a church. And so we didn't get planning permission. But Terry Virgo, a man of incredible faith, got us to pray, and we made an appeal and the appeal actually went to the House of Lords. And Terry was interviewed on TV, and the TV uh, kind of presenter was uh, a bit kind of sceptical, mocking. People were mocking, oh, look at them, they spent all that money, and now it's, uh, uh, they can't, can't use it. Terry said, God has, live on TV, God has given us this building we will win. And we did. And the rest is history. San Ballot questioned their spiritual history as having no relevance in today's world. He says, will you restore your sacrifices? You're going back to all that religious stuff, all that Leviticus and Deuteronomy stuff. In other words, their experience of God may have been relevant to the social ethos of another era, but has no relevance today. 
And that's what people out there in Fredericton think. What is the relevance of church? What is the relevance of worship? What is the relevance to it all? These are things that we will be mocked with. Now here's another one. Sanballat also spread a false report and he began to spread rumours. Now the devil uses the same strategy today. If you go and join Christ Central at Fredericton, they have a leadership that will control you. They will tell you what you should do. You know, it'll be spiritual control. You know, when the Holy Spirit first moved um, back in the 70s, there was a movement called the Shepherding Movement. And what that was, well, that was the name that was given to it. What that was, it was uh, a, a kind of restoration of eldership authority in the local church. Now, in some cases, that did get distorted. But when our church started, the rumours went round that if you went to that church, the elders were so controlling that you wouldn't be able to change your wallpaper without their permission. And what about this one? If you're in that church, you won't be able to have a baby unless you have the elder's permission. It's the first time I've been called a contraceptive. You will be controlled. Those rumours go around. Or they're only after your money. Or they will reject you because of your lifestyle and sexuality. I don't know if you've ever heard Stuart, album, Stuart Townend's album, The Journey, okay? If you go onto Spotify and put in Stuart Townend, The Journey, it is a fantastic album. And your whole kind of culture here would love it because it's very folky, fiddles and flutes and stuff, all the stuff you, you New Brunswickers like, but brilliantly arranged. Now, in this, so in this album, there's a song called um, the, come, come All You Vagabonds. And it's an invitation to everybody to come to the table and feast. Come All You Vagabonds. And it describes them all. Now, there's this line. Come to the feast from every station and orientation. Whoa. If you come to the feast that Jesus has prepared, you will never want to go back to that old indigestible lifestyle because Jesus offers a better feast. So come. Everybody's welcome. That's the kind of church we're to be. But it is with the message of the Bible and the message of Jesus. In the end, Satan will try it on with intimidation, anxiety, fear, lies, and just seek to wear you out. Also, one of his biggest strategies is to bring mistrust in relationships. This is a big one. God wants us to learn to love and trust one another. Now, if anybody's perfect here, would you like to put up your hand? <laughs> I see no hands. Amen. 
we need to learn to love and trust one another even when we get it wrong or they get it wrong or things happen. Church people are the most weird people sometimes. You come into a family and then you bring your junk and that connects with somebody else's junk and what do you have? Disunity. Now the gospel of grace helps us to get through our differences and our awkwardness in relationships. It's one of the biggest killers in church life. Don't do it. Don't do it. Have a forgiving spirit, a forgiving heart. So, with all this opposition, the people pressed on with the work. A sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. To get the wall built is working and warfare. Now, we're in a place in the story where the wall has been completed. That was last week. But we will find that there were still battles to be won. The rebuilding of the temple and then the rebuilding of the wall did not last. Nehemiah, after a period of being away, came back to find that the people had gone back to both complacency and compromise. Now, in many ways, this is a sad book. It ends the Old, Old Testament history, and for the next 400 years, the Bible is silent, as there were various wars ending up eventually with the Roman occupation of Israel when Jesus arrives on the scene. Clearly, the Jewish nation had still not learned the lessons from Deuteronomy. When Jesus did come on the scene, Jerusalem and the land was occupied by Rome. Now, back in the early 80s, there was a lot of teaching about the restoration of the church. There was a sense of excitement about what God was doing. He was rebuilding the church, breaking us out of denominational structures and models as we rediscovered Plurality of eldership, Ephesians 4 ministries, community life, hearts being joined together. We learned about apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Our worship was renewed. Spiritual gifts were restored. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. We rediscovered that church was like the book of Acts. There was a New Testament atmosphere about what we were building. Now, I was personally challenged by a very well-known prophet operating in our New Frontiers churches. I'm not going to say his name, but he is a well-known prophet. And he said to me in a private conversation, he said that as he travels around the country speaking in many of our churches, so many have settled and do not look any different from the churches we came out of in the late 70s to build the restored church. That's a huge statement. Now, let me challenge you not to allow that to happen here. There are battles to fight to see the church restored to what God originally intended. 
Now, Ephesians chapter 6, the passage that I read just now, connects being a spirit-filled church with being a people who not only win their initial battles, but stay in the place of victory. In chapter 6 and verse 10, the passage that I read, we get three very significant Holy Spirit words. Uh, They're different words in Greek, and they're translated strength, power, and might. And those three words are always associated with the Holy Spirit. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So that's why I spoke so much last week about being filled with the Spirit. It's not our own strength, it's the Spirit. Here's the Spirit of power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He is the spirit of power who imparts these qualities to us. Now, going back to our Nehemiah narrative in chapter 9, the response of the people initially to the word was that they mourned and repented. Now, there is a place for that, to get before God and say, God, I'm sorry, We got it wrong, we want to get it right. But if we allow that to become a sentimental wallowing for a past era, you know, it's not like it was at Toronto in 94. Why isn't it like it now? Stop it. Stop it. God's the God of the now. And he is, I believe, we're on the cusp of God doing a new new thing. We need to take the action that God himself takes. Now, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 59 writes about injustice, oppression, and backsliding. He describes the broken walls of our world. He says, justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Now, this is yet another graphic picture of what I said earlier, a description of our world today. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. But then, Isaiah says, he declares, but God roused himself. There was no one to intercede, so God acted. Now listen to this. God put on his head his helmet of salvation and his own righteousness as a breastplate. In other words, God put on his armor and intervened. And the armor that Paul is describing in Ephesians chapter 6 is actually the armor that God himself wears. Now, it says that God roused himself. Now, how did he rouse himself? What did he do? He sent his son. Jesus came. And that great passage in in Isaiah 54, we then get 
this, these great messianic promises and the building of the New Testament community. It's all prophesied there. God has intervened. He's roused himself. Jesus has come. He has come in the whole armor of God. He has defeated totally the devil and principalities and powers. And that's why Jesus was able to say, I will build my church in the gates of hell, the demons of hell, the satanic influences out of hell, the principalities and powers, those things in the heavenlies, they are defeated. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so, how has God roused himself today? He sent Jesus, he sent the Spirit, but he rouses himself by rising up in us that we, with the helmet of salvation on our heads, with the sword of the Spirit in our hands, stand in the whole armor of God. And we need to learn to pray that in. About four or five years ago, I was in a situation where I was helping a church and there was a serious leadership breakdown in that church. And I'd been asked to help and try and resolve this. And one morning at 3 a.m., God woke me up. And I had a song in my head that we used to sing as kids uh, at the church that I grew up in. Keep the touch of God on your soul. Keep the touch of God on your soul. Go wrestle, fight, and pray until the break of day and keep the touch of God on your soul. God told me, get up, get dressed, go wrestle, fight, and pray until daybreak. So I did that. I got up, got dressed, went out and paced the streets, prayer walked the streets, crying to God for breakthrough for this situation where it seemed there would be no breakthrough. Now you cannot script this. I prayed through and suddenly the dawn started to break. The clouds started to part. And God said to me, it's daybreak, you can stop now. And at that moment, Hurricane Doris broke. There was a flash in the sky, the storm clouds quickly gathered, and the hurricane, we don't have many hurricanes in England, but we had one that morning. That hurricane broke, and God said to me, there's going to be a big storm with this, but you'll ride it, you will come through. And we did. We did. God resolved that situation. So, we stand in the armour of God. Now, what does that mean? What does that look like? Now, this is not a description just of a Roman soldier for Sunday school stories. Okay? This is serious theology. The armour of God. We see our position in Christ with the helmet of salvation on our head. The gospel of salvation is the bedrock of everything we do, everything we think, everything we sing about. You know, I had a, an old mentor when I was a, a very young elder and I was a songwriter and he said to me, Dave, whatever you sing, 
Always sing about Jesus. Whatever songs you write, always put Jesus in the song. And I would say that to songwriters today. Write about Jesus. Whatever other subjects you're writing about, put Jesus in the song. Salvation is an essential, an essential thing that we go with. You know, I, I pastor uh, and ro- with, with Rosie and so many people come with spiritual problems. And, uh, you know, they're church members and we will nearly always go back to the root of the not understanding the power of the gospel to bring deliverance from the law of sin and death. So anxieties, fears, habits, all of those things need to come back to the cross where Jesus won salvation for us. Be girded with the truth of God's word. So be Bible-centered. Be a witness with our feet shod with the shoes of the gospel. Put your shield up to quench the fiery darts. Okay, you're not a Christian. Look at your life. I saw what you did. Put your shield up. That's a fiery dart. Put your shield up. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies me. I stand before God. I am forgiven. I am free. Satan can say what he likes. His fiery darts can come with his anxieties, his fears, his lusts, his temptations. Up goes the shield of faith. And ping, they just drop off. Hallelujah. Keep praying. Keep praying. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Live by the Word of God. And finally, take responsibility for your life. Be like the people in Nehemiah's day and set your heart and and actions to keep persevering. Don't give up. I'm going to land this now. If you are going to see this work flourish, and it will flourish because it's his work, if you're going to get the wall built, if you're going to build the church God wants in this place, become a people who are consecrated and working. Be a people who work. Be a people of the word. Be a people of the spirit. Be a people who win. The cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the outpouring of the spirit together have secured a victory over Satan and all his principalities, powers, and demons he can muster to thwart God's purpose in the church and in us as we set about a great task. The victory of Jesus shows him defeating every principality and power. He grappled with them, mastered them, stripping them of all the armor in which they trusted and held them aloft in his mighty outstretched hands displaying to the universe their helplessness and his own unvanquished strength. Satan and his hordes are defeated. So, like Nehemiah, let's hear the call to arise and build the church that Jesus himself said he would build. 
A church that defeats the gates of hell and says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Fredericton as it is in heaven. Amen. Let's stand together. Holly and the band, would you please come? It's been such a privilege to be with you. I spent a lot of time really weighing up what to bring in this month that I've been with you, and I felt God give me this message. I know it's a strong, vibrant message. I pray that it hits home into our hearts. Christ Central, Rosie and I love you, and our church in Horsham loves you. Andy Robinson is longing to get to get here, and I know when he's better, he he will. Joss Wintermeyer, the young guy who is now our lead elder. When I couldn't come, I think it was in uh, um, 2005. I I couldn't come because I'd got a DVT and wasn't allowed to fly. And Joss, who was then about 18, came and led the worship with Alan Rose standing in for me preaching. You're in Joss's heart. Our leadership pray for you. We love you. And like Paul, you read the end of Romans, all those list of names, they're all people he didn't see often, but he loved them. He loved them. And we love you and want to see you succeed. Amen. Let's just lift our hands to the Lord. I'm just going to pray over you as a church. Father, from that moment four weeks ago when we went back over the story of how this church was launched, we saw your spirit move upon a bunch of people who were excited, fearful, who wanted new things but weren't sure, and you galvanized them. You brought them together. And Lord, like the old hymn says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. And we know there's been some stormy pathways, but Lord, you've brought this church through. And I want to pray that your Holy Spirit will put a fresh vision into each heart. That if there is any leaning on the doorpost with their arms folded, neither in nor out, I pray change their hearts. Bring them in. Bring them into the feast. Thank you, Jesus, for the feast. We thank you, Jesus, that all are welcome, but not all stay the same. And Lord, we thank you. And Lord, I want to pray Lord, that as those homes that are built in there go out, that it will be a testimony to the whole of Canada. I pray that as, Lord, there are situations where there's counsel brought and the sharing of the gospel, kids club, all these different initiatives to reach out into the community, I pray own it and bless it. And Lord, I pray lift off at any fear of church planting, Lord, I thank you that you are the God 
of multiplication. And Lord, when you broke the one loaf, it was divided out. And Lord, I want to pray over these next few months, Lord, that you will give the elders strategies, that you will give this church strategies, that you will give people peace, that what you are building will stand strong. Sword in one hand, trowel in the other. God, we bless, I bless this dear, wonderful family. Anoint them, use them, flood through them. Bless these kids, Lord. Bless our teenagers. Lord, don't let them be a laid-back, cool generation. Let them be on fire for you. Lord Jesus, let them be on fire for you. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we say, how great is our God. Amen. Holy Yogi.